From Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. The name, the name of every single Denver Nugget is up in lights today as the Nuggets are, for the first time in franchise history, NBA champions. What's it mean? And what's it mean for every single player on that team that came up so huge? We'll continue to break it down all day. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Also, your smart speakers, just ask them to play ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Let's get some thoughts on this from our buddy Quentin Richardson, co-host of the Knuckleheads Podcast, 13-year NBA veteran. Q, always appreciate your time, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. When you're watching what you saw last night, as as somebody that played in the league for 13 years, give me your thoughts on just stylistically watching the Nuggets. What did it speak to you when you watched them play? Man, they, they, they personified team basketball, man. I mean, obviously they led by Joker and his dominant performance, and him and, him, him and Murray were unbelievable as a duo. But, I mean, when you look at them throughout the entirety of it, man, they, they, they were the sum of their team. I mean, you had different moments where, you know, Jokic probably didn't have the greatest game or whoever did. You had Pope stepping up. You had Aaron Gordon stepping up. You had Bruce Brown. You had just different guys always showing up, whether it would be a, a, a big way defensively like A.G. did for this whole series. I feel like he did an outstanding job on Jimmy Butler making it as, as tough as it could be for him. But, I mean, they had they, they they were a great team top to bottom, man. I felt like they brought several guys off the bench that could possibly start on other teams and be very big pieces of other teams. So, I think they were just, you know, they were a well-put-together team. You got to take your hat out to the front office of uh, Calvin Booth and those guys over there in Denver did a great job putting this team together. And, Q, I said yesterday that the Denver Nuggets and their supporting cast outplayed the Miami Heat supporting cast the entire series. But when you have things like that happen – whether it's Bruce Brown having 21 or Aaron Gordon having 27, Christian Brown having 15. Last night it was Michael Porter Jr. stepping up and having 16 after every, every other game in the series he didn't do anything. When you have things like that show up, is it a testament to the head coach being able to get guys to buy in uh, to a team goal? Absolutely, man. I think, you know, for a long time, I mean, obviously he's going to get a lot more notoriety now for winning the championship and being a championship coach. But Coach Michael Malone has been a great coach in this league for a while, man. I think he, you know, people that's, that's around the league, that know the league and know, know about him, they know what he brings to the table. And he definitely has, has fostered a culture there that, that's allowed these guys to be able to play the way they play. And when you listen to the players, you know Harry as a player, when you listen to the guys, you hear you hear uh, Michael Porter Jr. talking about how much he enjoyed winning with these guys and playing with these guys, and he said this is the best group of teammates he's ever had in his life. I mean, I think that that those type of comments mean something, man. That's a big deal. Uh, we'll stick there for a second, Q, because that immediately makes me think about the destination, right? Like, because let's face it, we rarely sit there and say, "Oh, the Nuggets, hot hotbed for free agents," right? But you just mentioned this with this whole awakening that we're going through. Does this change the way players in the league see the Nuggets when it comes to their decisions and where they want to play? I think so. I mean, I think like you you look at it. I mean, everything they were showing right after the game is like six or six or seven of their, their core guys are already still. Track and we'll be back for next year, and I think 
anybody with eyes can see, man, I think it's going to be some some pieces moving around the landscape in this offseason. But I think, you know, when you look at them, they got to be a, a top team that you think can go out there and get it done again because they bring everybody back with the ability to possibly tweak some things and add or subtract or do some other things over there. So, I mean, you got to look at those guys as, as at least one of the favorites coming back next year, in my opinion. Yeah, so I got to ask you then, when you look at the Western Conference, and I know free agency hasn't hit yet, and they're going to be moving moving pieces for other ball clubs. What's the one team that you can say right now, Q, that will probably give the Denver Nuggets a run for their money, if you had to pick one? Um... I, I, I mean, I think if the, I think if the Warriors are able to 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 get, they need size. They need somebody. I mean, I still uh, I don't understand why Dwight Howard wasn't in the league this year. I felt like he could have impacted and helped somebody uh, in a in a major way. But you know, things are the way they are with that. Uh, but I th- I think Golden State, man, if they can if they can keep that 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 trio of Draymond, Steph, and Clay together, and those guys can can all get on the same healthy page leading into to, uh, playoffs. If they have to have some big some big size down there, they have to have one at least one guy that could start at the five. That's going to be you know uh, even if it's Looney or somebody going to back him up. They got to have they got to have another guy there. They can't just have Looney and Draymond as the big. They got to have one a legit seven footer that could get in there and give you some key minutes and, you know, can foul and can defend and allow you to play a little bit against Jokic. We're talking to Quentin Richardson, co-host of the Knuckleheads podcast on Fitz and Harry, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Q, we were talking about this earlier because today everybody wants to make this about, you know, the the Nuggets and their possibility of a dynasty. But there have been seven champs in the last ten years. Why are dynasties happening so much less right now in today's NBA than they did, let's say, 10, 15, 20 years ago? I think the the parity, man. I think is the talent. The talent level is is, is kind of even and balanced now. There's so much of it, but it's no longer you know the, the the super team type situations you have going on. And when you you know a lot of the to be honest, the the level of our superstars, we starting to see a passing of the torch. You know, this I think last year was the first year we could honestly look at it and say LeBron lost a step at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like because like for the last twenty years he hasn't. He's been unreal. And like this is the first year where we say okay he can't just deliver you a championship on his own. He needs help. So I think you're starting to see a lot of the that, that top tier of older stars, the LeBrons, the, the the KDs, and all of these guys, they're getting up in age. And now we're seeing the where those guys still are, still are the deals and still are super, superstars. But now we're starting to see that the other guys are trying to take their place at the mantle as, as like a joker. And, you know, some of these other young talents is trying to, you know, get them a championship. So I think – we're seeing kind of like that change into the guard time, too. I think that's a big part of it. So, Q, I, w- I want to get to the Miami Heat side of things, and I'll be honest with you. I was kind of bothered last night by this with Jimmy Butler. So, with 429 left in the fourth quarter, Jimmy only had like eight points. And I thought he was indecisive throughout that basketball game, but decided at the 429 mark that he was going to be decisive until he had that late turnover um, at the end of the game. What did you mm-hmm. see from Jimmy Butler that he could have done better in that game five loss last night? Uh, I think obviously the first thing that hops out at you is his aggression, like you said, through the through, through the earlier, the first three quarters or so and most of the game. I think you, you were waiting for him to kind of do what he did there. And I don't want to make any excuses for him, but I, 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 I don't, I'm not sure. I question whether he was all the way healthy this series and everything, but uh, – the one thing that I saw on his face and Bam's face at some point in that third and fourth quarter, like, they were dead tired. 
those dudes were whooped. Like, like they, I'm talking about from playing and competing hard and putting everything they put out there. Like, they were they were whooped. Like, and it was like that was a, that was the point where I looked at them and said, it, it, it's too much. They can't overcome this. Like, they they've given everything they had to give as as those individuals. They tried their hardest. They just Denver was the better team. I feel like. Were you surprised that they didn't try to foul at the end when there was whatever, like uh, 14 seconds left, I think? Uh, it, it was still a five-point game. They just It might have been nine seconds left, and they just sort of threw their hands up. Were you surprised? I was I was looking for a, a, a camera shot of Pat Riley because I know he probably was somewhere breaking something. I, I, I know he did not. <laughs> <laughs> that, was the, that was literally the first thought I had because I was like, I kind of thought, like, I was like, damn, they're going to, okay, I mean, I know it's over, but like, damn, I, I was kind of shocked by that. And I was like, I said, man. If I could see a little a little side shot of Pat Riley right now, he probably threw something when that happened. I, I I'm serious. <laughs> well, and, and I'll and I'll say as a, as a competitive man, you know you know that saying it's it's never over to the fat lady sings or or if you want to say the mid sized lady or the skinny lady, you know you be politically correct nowadays until <laughs> the lady sings. You know what I'm saying? But like, I would never want to go out without exhausting every single possibility that's available to me. Like, I'm pretty sure you yeah. feel the same way on Q as a competitor. No, I do. I do. It's one of those things where it's a, you know, it, it, it is a formality, but you still do it anyway. And I, I yeah. was, I will say I was, I did take like a little, I wasn't like crazy, but I was like, oh, I did, I did raise an eyebrow. I take definite notice of that. Quentin, as always, man, we appreciate your brilliance and your insight. Thanks for hanging out with us throughout not just this series, but throughout the uh, NBA season. We've really appreciated it, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Anytime, fellas. You already know it. Quentin Richardson, co-host of the Knuckleheads podcast. You can check that out. 13-year NBA veteran. Really appreciate him hanging out as we continue to break down all of the outcome from last night or all of the uh, trickle-down from last night's outcome. Coming up, where does Nikola Jokic rank amongst the all-time greats? Wait until you hear one of our colleagues take a little good take, hot take coming up next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Good take. That's good. Great. Or a hot take. How hot? Red hot. Find out now with Fitz and Harry. It's good take, hot take. I'm Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. You know how it works. We'll play you some of the takes from some of our peers, and then we'll decide if it's good take. Wow, they're really smart. Or if it's a hot take. They have lost their damn minds. And we will start with J. Will from Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. He said this this morning about the Heat quitting with 11 seconds left in the game. Think about that moment and think about how defeated Miami must have felt in that moment to just stop, to quit. Like, I'm done. I'm out. Game over. With the 11 seconds left to go in the game. Harry, it stunned me. I think it's a good take where all of a sudden I'm looking around saying, man, it's a five-point game. One free throw, that you foul him, one free throw makes it a six-point game. That's still two shots. Like, yes, it's a miracle, but, man, at least play for the miracle. I was stunned by that decision. Actually, I think it's a great take 
There's no reason for you to wave the white flag at that moment. You exhaust every single thing in trying to see if you can come back and win that basketball game versus just letting the Denver Nuggets, you know, dribble the ball and run the clock out. You don't do that. Yeah, I mean, you, you always live to see another down, right? Like, you always fight for another play if you've got one. I, I, I thought it was a stunning moment there. It showed that they were out of gas. Uh, I also heard this stunning moment on air this morning, listening to Keyshawn J. Will and Max, and let's just be honest, they got fired up. So let's see if you're fired up about it. Max Kellerman this morning said Jokic, already better than Dirk ever was. Jokic's better than Dirk Nowitzki ever was. Wait, he spent uh, one year of his life as the best player in the NBA I'm the year done. they chipped up. Jokic has two back-to-back regular season MVPs, very nearly three, and just had a finals, every a whole playoff series, at least as good as Dirk. No, Dirk no, no, Nowitzki I, was never a back-to-back MVP, almost a three-time MVP. It, he, his his playoff run was, was not quite as good as Jokic. Period. Jokic was impossible. It, this is something Jokic did that Dirk didn't do. He just led the entire league throughout the playoffs I, I in points, rebounds, and assists. He was not extended, really, in any series, and he's finals MVP after, after coming in second in MVP because there was a straw poll and people got outraged he was about to win three in a row before he'd won a title Harry what do you think I think this is a hot take you're talking about a guy in I call him Dirk Diggler who played 21 seasons in the NBA won an NBA championship beating LeBron James Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade having that one-legged step back that one-legged you know fadeaway jump shot that People mimic all across NFL locker rooms while they're playing basketball in the damn locker room. Nikola Jokic isn't there yet. It could be, ha- it could happen, but not right now. Yeah, that's a good take. Max is right on this one. You know what? It, you're right that the Dirk has a, a lifetime of of greatness. That's fine, but I don't think Max is making a bad point here. Two MVPs, two MVPs could have been three MVPs, a Finals MVP. And virtually unguardable through this entire process. Like, nobody knows how to stop him. There's just no way to stop what he's doing because of the way he does it. I, I think we're, ju- we're late to the game. I keep using this analogy. It's like an indie band that's put out a bunch of records, and now we find it. We're like, oh, I really like this band. Well, we're going back and listening to music. It's been good for a lot of years. Like, I think, not taking nothing away from Dirk, but I think Jokic is already better. Already better. All right. No. Dirk beat LeBron. Who you consider your damn goat? Yeah, you consider your goat. Uh, Chris Bosh and D Wade. Jokic just beat LeBron too. So what are we talking about here? Like, I mean, it wasn't the NBA Finals. It wasn't LeBron. 2010 LeBron no, either. He, he beat Hamothy Butler in the finals. Doesn't that count for something? I mean, can't help can't help who you're playing. Uh, you can't help who you're playing. I'm not sure LeBron in his prime could have stopped the version that we're getting right now, Jokic. I'm just saying right now. Uh, speaking Whoa. of, uh, yeah, I know. I'm just throwing it out there. Speaking of the Jokic conversation, Michael Porter Jr. said this at his press conference about where Jokic ranks amongst the all-time greats. This was a historic run. I don't know how you could say he's not the best big man ever, really. Like, he's one of the all-time great basketball players. I don't care what anyone says. I, I think he's one of the all-time best players to ever play this game. I mean, that's his teammate. Good take, hot take. When, when it's all said and done, Jokic will be one of the best players to ever play this game. I just think we're, the man career isn't even over yet, man. Everybody just relax. Yeah, but I mean, Porter's saying he, right now, right? Like This was a historic run. I don't know how you could he's say. He's the best big man ever? He's not 
the best big man ever, really. Like, he's one of the okay, all-time. Okay, well, that's a hot take yeah, in my I opinion. Mean, best big man ever. I mean. That's a hot take in my opinion. Best big man ever. Who are you putting above him? Are we, are we, uh, it doesn't care. I just think it's a hot take right now. <laughs> doesn't even matter. Oh, man, you know me with these conversations. Like, I think he's – look, I think he's one of the best ever. And, you know, we were having an argument a minute ago Do about – Do you think he the, is the best big man ever right now? That's hard for me. Or to does say. he have an opportunity to he, – he has an opportunity to be the best ever. But to call he's him so the best different. big man he's right so now – He's so different, right? Like, he's just so – Different. That's the hard part about this. We were having a, a quick discussion during the break about the fact that Devin here says that chunky peanut butter is the only way to go because Devin has terrible taste. I think the creamy peanut butter is the only way to go. Now, to two different people in the room, you say you want peanut butter. We're talking about the same food. It's just a very different take on those two two foods. Like one is one is they're each great. They're just different. Listen, I I'm, see you, Evan. Somebody over there looking up Kareem, listen, Bill listen, Russell, Shaq. You got all these guys. I'm the ultimate like different eras especially with bill russell like if you put him in today i don't know if we're having the same conversation about bill russell but he has 11 championships so we got a slower roll a yes l- i know fits i know you championships yes. in that nba i'm not worried about like i don't care how many championships Bro, you how have many does shaq have shaq has four or five i think shaq has five shaq has four three four? with the lakers one with the heat okay. kareem has six though like, yeah. Kareem got to the Lakers at the back end of his career, they thought, and then won five more championships. Yeah, he won like, five championships on the, the back of Magic. Right? He's right? not better no. than Kareem yet. He's, He's not better not than Kareem. Better than we got to stop that. <laughs> I just like firing you all up. Those are all Magic championships. <laughs> I, Kareem was just riding, riding Magic's back to greatness. Michael um, Porter Jr. was probably not even born when Kareem probably his career ended, I would assume. So he probably never saw him play once. He's still wet behind the ears. Yeah, I, that's why I think this is an impossible conversation. Like, I just, this this conversation, greatest of all time conversation. You tell Michael Porter Jr. work on consistency. Greatest of all time <laughs> conversation is the grown-up equivalent of my dad can beat up your dad. Ain't none of us ever going to prove anybody wrong. Nobody's going to believe anything. And at the end of the day, your dad's probably not as kick-ass as you think. Uh, Freddie Coleman, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, he's always kick-ass. But this is what he said about now, that Jokic has won a championship where all the pressure has shifted. But think of the pressure now Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. Think about when Nikola Jokic finally breaking through and many people wondered if that was ever going to happen in Denver. For a guy that was drafted in the second round, lowest drafted player to ever win an NBA Finals MVP. And many people said, finally, Joel Embiid gets noticed for being the best center in the NBA, being the best player maybe in the NBA. But now think of the pressure that he's going to be under because Nikola Jokic finally broke through, and many people still wonder, when is that going to happen, if ever, for Joel Embiid in Philadelphia, the 76ers? Is all the pressure on Joel Embiid now, Harry? There's a ton of pressure on Joel Embiid to win an NBA championship. You look at this season, right, when the MVP you know, talk came about, did you hear Nikola Jokic really talk about it any? No. Not really. But you heard Joel Embiid reference it on numerous of occasions. But when it came to Joel Embiid, and I, I understand he wasn't fully healthy, but, you know, I don't use it as an excuse. He wasn't able to get it done for his basketball team in a game seven versus the Boston Celtics. He won MVP, just like we looked at Giannis when he was winning MVP and said, there's pressure on him. Nikola Jokic this season, there, were, there was pressure on him. Joel Embiid. Just won an MVP award trophy. Now the pressure's on you because we just seen what it looked like from the other guy. It's your turn now, sir. You are now up. 
I, I think you're probably right. I think the, sh the pressure has shifted to Embiid. What's amazing is that in a, in a world where we have seven NBA champions in the last 10 years, I think there's so much parity across the board and so many guys that have pressure, it gets a little wild. And when you start thinking about the number of people next year, we will start the season saying, oh, you got to win a championship or else. It shows you that the pressure is all over the NBA. All right, Nikola Jokic finally got his NBA title. Who in the NFL is under the most pressure to get their first? And did his chances just get a lot harder with some big news today? We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. You just heard Christine Lisi mention it. It's a confusing time, apparently, at Bills Camp. Also, you heard her mention that Stanley Cup's going to be in the building. I'm, I'm not. I, it's fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine by tonight. I, I cannot wait to watch Vegas hoist the cup, though, even though I won't be there. Uh, we're going to get some expertise on what to make of a wild situation at Bill's camp. Ryan Clark joining us now, ESPN NFL analyst. Ryan, Christine Lisi just told the world this. Sean McDermott says Stephon Diggs isn't at minicamp, but according to Shefty, his agent says he is at minicamp. What am I supposed to make of this entire situation? You know, I don't really know. That's the, that is the freeing point of where I am in life. I get to say I don't know what I don't dang know. Um, you get to make whatever you want to make of it. Whatever tea leaves you want to draw from, then you get to. Uh, it's not It's not ever an issue for not, – I'm not saying it's not an issue. Sometimes it's not a huge issue when a guy misses something in the offseason. But it's normally accompanied by some sort of information – that allows us to know why he is missing. And I think that's what is difficult about this is that Sean McDermott is saying that he isn't there. His agent is saying that he has met with the GM Bean and also Coach McDermott, and he will be there for the entirety of minicamp. So does Sean McDermott mean he just won't be practicing or he won't be on the field or he won't be involved in meetings? And so I think it's just that confusion that leaves us all scratching our heads, but it's one of those things that guys miss stuff in the off season. Coach Tomlin would call me and Troy every year when it got later on in our career and just ask us which week were we coming for? And we'd ask him, do you want us to come the same week or do you want us to come different weeks? And he'd always say, I'll come on the same week. And so there are those organizations that understand some of their veterans aren't going to be there for everything. And so I think we just have to wait for more information on what's going on with Stefan Diggs and the Buffalo Bills before we start trying to draw any conclusion ourselves. By the way, Harry, real quick before you jump in here, the Bills just put out a statement. Diggs was present Monday morning and Tuesday morning, but left before the start of practice. Take it away, Harry. Yeah, hey, uh, RC, I got to ask you about the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen. How much pressure is on Josh Allen to actually win a Super Bowl this year in Buffalo? I think it's isn't it always pressure to win Super Bowls? It well, doesn't it doesn't change. And to whom 
to whom much is given, much is required. And that has to do with talent and ability. And it also has to do with what you are given monetarily. And Josh Allen has both of those things in droves. And when you have a team that was seemingly as close as they were, they were with going to an AFC championship, having that great divisional battle with the Kansas City Chiefs where Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes seem to be starting a new Tom Brady, Peyton Manning sort of rivalry in the playoffs, you're like, oh, they're going to be there every year. And then Joe Burrow comes along like Jon Snow in the Battle of the Bastards and wins <laughs> in Buffalo. And it throws a monkey wrench into the entire plant. And so I think there's just pressure on Josh Allen. And you'll follow me here, Harry. You don't necessarily always have to win it, but you can't be the reason that you don't. Yep. You understand that? Yep. Right. You know, you know why we were so high on the Buffalo Bills coming into last season and why we were so high on Josh Allen? Because they, in fact, lost in Kansas City, but it sure as hell wasn't Josh Allen's fault. Right? Josh Allen showed us that day, or at least we felt he showed us that day, that it's 1A and 1B Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And so when the next year does it go like that, it's about your expectations. Expectations lead to disappointment. And so you expected something that you didn't get. It's about Josh Allen returning to the form we saw him the previous year and putting his team on his back and giving him opportunities against guys like Joe and Patrick. Do you what, think what, he will go ahead? Hold on really quick, Fitz. What, what I think is very important, RC, because when you look at the last three years, it has been Patrick Mahomes two of those years. It was Joe Burrow that outplayed Josh Allen a season ago. And I brought this up the other day when we was talking about the Buffalo Bills. I think two of the things that both of those guys, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, has that Josh Allen doesn't is number one, being able to take care of the football. That's the number one thing, especially at that position. But number two, having a vital run game to go to to complement their quarterback play. That's something I feel that has been missing in Buffalo, which forces Josh Allen to try to be Superman every time he's out there on the field. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been missing in Buffalo, but you also have to think about it. Buffalo ain't necessarily really tried to do it. Yep. I mean, should they, you know, though? Um, Kansas, think about this, though. Kansas City hasn't had this run game that we just deemed as – we don't think – we ain't never watched Kansas City and thought they was the Tennessee Titans. No. Right, We never felt that way, but Kansas City has seemingly, when they needed to, been able to rely on the run game if they're going to get light boxes. And in relying on the run game, that just simply means calling runs. Under Ken Dorsey, Buffalo hadn't, didn't do that last year. There were games where Singletary played well. Like, there were games where they had those opportunities, and they didn't take them. So it's not only about having a run game or the propensity or having the talent to do it. It's about actually committing to it, and that's what they need to do. Ryan, I know we got to let you go, RC, but before we do that, uh, we've been talking a lot about Jokic. You're a huge NBA fan. You're watching all of this go down. Uh, your thoughts on Jokic and just the, the sort of demeanor with which he wins a championship. As a former athlete, when you watch him, what do you think? <laughs> funny as hell. <laughs> all dudes. Think about, and I, I do believe this, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way, 
I believe it's because he didn't grow up here. Right? Not everybody who grew up in Serbia grew up loving Mike Jordan or loving Kobe Bryant. And what and the reason I point to those two names, those two people, if you love them, if their game was the game you modeled yourself your or that work ethic, then you feel like winning is everything. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter how you play. It matters if you win. Jokic don't feel like that. That man want to go buy a horse. <laughs> he just want to go home. Like, he just want to go home. Yeah, like he, the man don't even want to go to the parade. But think about this, right? Think about, truly believe in order to have the legacy that they desire, they need to win a championship. And think about the way they strain and fight. And just look at Jimmy Butler, for instance. And it makes me want to go back to the, the Jimmy Butler picture when he was leaned over in the bubble. Think about Jimmy Butler, what was it, game four in the first series against Milwaukee, having to go for 56. It is so hard for Jimmy Butler to score points sometimes. That, man. And you lost to a dude that didn't even know how to use the champagne in the celebration. <laughs> oh, God. You know what I'm saying? Because because he, he didn't grow up cherishing that moment. And it's one of those things. It's like for the for the it's 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 not about wins and losses crowd. Nikola Jokic is the perfect poster boy. For the everybody gets a participation trophy parent, Nikola Jokic, right? He says all the right things. You know, parenting hasn't prepared me in any way to be a better basketball player. It showed me that just as I always knew, basketball wasn't my top priority. Now, juxtapose that to all the American heroes we worship. Tom Brady, seemingly, we don't know. This is just us on the outside looking in seemingly lost his family to play one more year of football, y'all. Michael Jordan, for all accounts, I've never heard anyone come out and say, Michael Jordan is a great human to be around. Right? And so we got all these people, and it was like, for them, winning was the only thing. For him, it's kind of like, oh, it's cool. I gave y'all these triple-doubles every night, but like, I ain't really tripping. That has to hurt. If you're Miami or the Lakers or if you're the Phoenix Suns, it's like, man, we got beat by a dude that truly doesn't care. We're like nameless gray faces to him. I never thought of it that way. It's what makes you great. By the way, guys, check out the pivot. Just in the last week, Chris Paul, Nigel Sylvester, Tim Anderson, you guys are crushing it as always. RC, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you, guys. Have a great one. Brian Clark, ESPN NFL analyst. All right, the Bills' star wide receiver is digging in for some reason. Our wide receiver tells you if it will prevent his team from winning the Super Bowl next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM. <laughs> Channel in. <laughs> Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
Jason Fitz and Harry Douglas are Fitz and Harry. Man, they, they ticked you off, huh? I mean, they ticked you off, my man. I, that, that, I'm just saying, like, let, we make these things so complicated. Like, uh, but I, I love the fact you said it with your chest, too. Like, you, you said it with your chest. You know what? I'm out here. I'm just out. I'm, <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I'm out in these streets now. That's what's happening. I'm out, well, these, I'm out here. He said, I'm out here. Oh, I'm, my God. I I'm see out in these streets. Please I clip that off. Evan and Devin, please clip that off. Please. Is it possible that the Bills and Stephon Diggs have touched and now are headed separate ways? Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. Maybe that's just the journey that they're on. This is going to keep coming all day. You're welcome, America. I am on a roll. Uh, the big news, Stephon Diggs, uh, not at minicamp, but at minicamp all at the same time while he may or may not be at minicamp. Let me explain. We start with Sean McDermott, Bill's head coach, saying this at his press conference about Diggs not being at minicamp. Steph is not here. Um, everybody else is here at the current time. How concerned are you about that? Oh, very concerned. Yeah, very concerned. I'm not going to get into and listen. I respect everyone's everyone's questions and what they want to know about our team. Right now, I'm just I'm not going to get into into that anymore. So we'll talk about practice. Happy to do that. Happy to answer those questions, um, and we'll move forward from there. Now, Harry, it's important to note that there's been some confusion. Shefty pointing out that Diggs' agent says he was there, met with McDermott, met with the Bills. Uh, the Bills have now put out a statement saying that he was in the building. On Monday, was present on Tuesday morning, but he left before the start of practice. So you, wide receiver one for this show, what am I supposed to make of this? Well, that means that he showed up for the physical and everything else, but then he left when practice started. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing I can get out of yeah, it. That's fair. That's but fair. I, I would also say, though, man, we, I, I want to revisit to last year, like during the playoffs, right? It was against Miami. I think it was a third down in that game where, you know, Stephon Diggs was open and Josh Allen didn't even look to his side. And literally would have picked up a first down and you kind of seen a little body language from Stephon Diggs. And then you fast forward to the game against the Cincinnati Bengals in which the first third and fourth situation that they had on the left-hand side, um, beautiful play that was drawn up by Ken Dorsey, allowed Stephon Diggs to get wide open down, down the field. And that was right after Joe Burrow them had went down and scored a touchdown. So it, the, the game immediately would have been 7-7. But Josh Allen overthrew Stephon Diggs, and you've seen the body language again. On top of Fitz, I'm going to speak about something that not many people can actually speak on because when, you, when there's two brothers that play a professional sport, right, you are of the mindset growing up that one day that you guys can play together. Now, I'm not saying Stephon Diggs wants a trade or whatnot, but him and his brother Trayvon Diggs train together. And... It's, I think it's a wonderful thing because you get best on best. You get two guys that get to, you know, iron shopping, sharpens iron to, to be exact. But maybe sometimes you think about what if I'm, I am able to play with my brother and we are able to do things like the McCourty twins were able to play together and win a Super Bowl. I mean, my brother played in the NBA for eight years. We both played a professional sport. We always wanted to play together at, at a professional level, but we took different paths. Right. Maybe that's something in the back, back of Stefan Diggs's mind, not saying that he, he wants a trade, but that could be something him and his brother have been thinking about. I, I would agree with all that. But as Field Yates points out on Twitter, 
Stefan Diggs signed a four-year, $96 million extension just last offseason, putting him in line with top-paid receivers. I, you're right, but if you wanted to do that, there was probably an easier place and time for the team to do that. Now, that being said, uh, Field has also pointed out that the dead cap hit for a trade right now is absolutely astronomical, right? So, Stefan Diggs has all of the leverage here if he really wants to have the leverage. I just, this seems like a messy situation for somebody that has been wildly paid by the Bills and something like for a team that we thought was just sure, sure fire everybody on the same page. They're obviously not. But I think it's something, I think it's something else that's bothering Stefan Diggs. And you could see it at different, you know, moments last season in his body language that I feel like, you know, the Bills organization needs, needs to address so they can move forward. Yeah, that's going to be the the real crux of this is what is the issue, how do they figure out, and how do they get it addressed? Because as we've mentioned so many times, I do believe there's a ton of pressure on the Bills right now to try and figure out how to win a Super Bowl, which means they don't have the grace of just sitting this out and trying to figure out what is next for the organization while they work it out. Coming up, what last night's title means for one nugget not named Nikola Jokic. We'll break it down next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 